Welcome to the Whiskey Rebellion. This is David Silkenet in Edinburgh, joined as always by Frank Coglana. How are you doing, Frank? David, I'm great. I'm back. Yeah, back from your <laughs> vacation. I'm well rested. You're looking, you know, uh, I'm refreshed. Tanned, I'm and, rested and ready. And, and ready for going back into the classroom, which is our subject today. It's our back to, to school episode. Um, before we do that, I think that we need to address the fact that the world has lots of interesting things have happened or uh, awful things have happened in the in the three weeks since our last episode. Yeah, um, I mean, we're aware. I mean, just to uh, think about the past tw- uh, 72 hours mm-hmm. or so. So we had the final U.S. pullout from Afghanistan earlier in the week, and we talked about Afghanistan a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we have the ongoing climate crisis in the form of wildfires and, and Lake Tahoe and 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 uh, Hurricane and Ida. Hurricane, well, exactly, Hurricane Ida, um, and and the uh, flooding New York last night, mm. and of course the recent Supreme Court decision regarding the uh, Texas abortion law. Uh, we're aware of all of those things, and undoubtedly we'll be addressing them in coming weeks. But uh, wanted to take some time to uh, ruminate about them, and we were. Um, Anyway, we, this is our back-to-school episode, so we wanted something a little more lighthearted, but our timing might have been a little bit poor in, the, in that regard. The, the circumstances seem to have conspired against us, but we're going we're gonna to go ahead with it anyway. Right, and so the uh, for uh, back-to-school, we were thinking of looking at, at how uh, academia has been portrayed in, in television and film, thinking in particular about the recent Netflix series, The Chair, which has been um, both praised and, and heavily criticized for its depiction of academia. Um, and certainly in higher education social media, it's received a huge amount of attention in the past two or three weeks. To, since to be sure. Up. Although, you know, I, I noticed yesterday it's still one of the more popular shows uh, trending on, on Netflix. So it seems as if, if lots of people are, are watching it, even people who, who aren't necessarily personally involved in in academia directly. I, I think, David, before we proceed, we should we should establish some parameters. So I think this discussion is going to focus on depictions of higher education and academia in the United States mm. uh, because of that. I mean, that's, of course, our our broader purview anyway for this podcast. But we're not talking about, you know, the 1938 film, A Yank at Oxford, for example, or or, or there's a long genre of, of British depictions of higher education. And that that's not what we're doing today. To be sure. Right. Uh, so, uh, look, I think maybe for those people who haven't seen The Chair, um, and I binged it yesterday, I think maybe a brief summation might be helpful. Uh, it takes place at a fictional Pembroke University, which describes it's, or it's described a couple of times as sort of a lesser ivy. Um, and it's the story of an English department headed by a, a, a who has a new chair, uh, Ji Yoon Kim, played by Sandra Oh. Uh, who is facing a variety of crises in the department, both about enrollment and because of the behavior of some of the members of, of the faculty, uh, and it's sort of her travails uh, during her first semester uh, as department chair. And then there's this uh, kind of subtext of her life as well. It's not a subtext. I mean, it, it also looks at her personal life. So she's got an adopted daughter uh, and a she's... Uh, she is uh, a single mother uh, of, of a school-aged daughter, and her father's in the picture. Um, we were talking before we came on. I found her father to be one of the few sympathetic characters in the whole thing, but we'll, we'll get to that probably. So, so we get her personal life or her private life is also uh, pre- presented. Um, we don't get much of that for the rest of the characters. Uh, well, well, for Dobson. Yeah, the, 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 yes. Uh, anyway, sorry. Um, so I don't think we need to sort of spoil all the sort of 
plot twists, but what parts about the show, Frank, did you see as, as being sort of accurate depictions or, or resonating with you uh, in terms of, of the ways in which it depicted academic life in the United States? Well, that's a good question. <clears throat> Notwithstanding my, my, uh, the, the proviso I began with, of course, I haven't worked in higher education in the United States in three decades, although I've been a close observer thereof and have obviously mm. visited many times. So, so I, I was watching it as an interested viewer rather than a, an expert. Uh, I think the um, disparate, let's say, behavior of the faculty members. Mm. <laughs> I mean, there are a wide range of faculty members presented, none sympathetically, I should say, or very few very sympathetically. Few, yes. um, and there are questions about the teaching styles and the personal behavior of various members of the department of which Sandra O's character is the chair, uh, causing all kinds of problems for her. And I think that resonated. I think if we had our colleague Fabian here, mm. who's the chair of the history department right now here in Edinburgh, some of this behavior would resonate. He would have found it recognizable. Yeah, the, uh, being a department chair is a really awful job. Yes. And yeah. I think the show does an excellent job of depicting that. You're sort of caught between trying to serve work and, and manage a group of, of faculty who are often like managing cats. Um, and being responsible to the dean, being responsible to you know various administrators and students, and, and, students yeah. and I mean every time she walks into her grand office, and we'll have to get to the offices, mm. which are very unrealistic. Um, you know, she's she's just bombarded with with problems that you know not of her own making. And there's not know, enough email in the show, though. No, no I suppose that, that's true. That's true. That's a, nine tenths uh, of it is so, of, yeah. so, so I think the behavior of the academics was interesting, or, or, or it did resonate mm. with me, or some of the misbehavior of the academics. Uh, resonated the debates about teaching. I mean, they, they weren't kind of formal debates, but there was there was a subplot of a young member of staff who's paired with an older member of staff who used to be a star teacher and has kind of lost his mm. fastball. And this young woman, young African American woman, is is paired with him to teach this course, and they they're both Melville scholars, and and they're and she's very popular, and, and he's and, not. Yeah, um, and uh, there's a kind of Quasi Hamilton inspired rap about Moby Dick at one point that they, that her students do and he's outraged by this. Um, I, I think that conflict over teaching styles conflict might be overstating, but contrast is better. Mm. Uh, I think that's probably I think that 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 struck me as accurate. I think that the um, I, I think the students were interesting and I don't know we'll, we'll mm. probably get to this. Um, but one, one thing I liked about it, but it, it's also a reason why it probably won't have an extended run of many, many multiple series is it's one of the few um, depictions of higher education, American higher education that I can think of that actually focuses on faculty rather than students. I mean, we're going to go yeah. through we'll, we'll, we'll get to this yeah. in a few minutes. But uh, and I think it did a reasonably good job of doing that. They're not doing a lot of work. You don't see people either preparing for class or reading or writing or they nobody yeah. seen. They're doing a lot there, of. There could conniving. be some montages of answering emails, but that would be pretty boring. No, that's right. Yes, it's, a, <laughs> it's not uh, good drama, Frank. So, I guess so, and, and in the same way that medical dramas don't necessarily portray the people the way life is for, mm. for most doctors or legal dramas for lawyers. Um, 
we didn't see the kind of workaday stuff, mm. even though the main focus of the program was the work uh, is the workaday stuff of being a department chair. What did you like about it, David? Uh, well, I'm not sure whether these are things I, I like, but these are things I thought were accurate. The 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 ways in which it dealt with questions of of race and gender, um, I thought was was insightful, or at least resonated with me as as things I had seen before, or and 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 seems to comport with with the experience of. Of lots of women and people of color in American academia, that the, the she uses the phrase that the glass cliff at one point in the show, which is sort of the sort of uh, 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 takeoff of a glass ceiling, in which a you know, a, a, but she uses it in a way to describe a situation in which a, a a woman or a person of color is put in a in a in a leadership role where they are almost bound to fail, and I think that's sort of the nature of the the premise of the show is she she takes over this department that is suddenly like aware that they are in a deep crisis i'm not quite sure like what the previous department chair was doing because clearly they did an awful job because they seem to have this budget crisis that they're not aware of until she takes over well the previous chair was dobson, dobson though who, we know what an idiot he is was, to, to be sure <laughs> um yeah so you know uh, the fact that the so that seemed to resonate with me that the, the debates over title nine and how that is dealt with in the show uh i thought sort of resonated um the sort of university administrators seem to resonate. The the university is a as a essentially a conservative institution designed to try to protect its own interests, um, driven by sort of market forces, but claiming at the same time not to be driven by market forces. The student as consumer, uh, sort of the butts and seats uh, discourse that's in the show that resonated with me as being um, things I was familiar with. Uh, the two body problem, uh, Sandro's character seemed like she had a partner, but like that they couldn't find a university where they could teach in together. Uh, that seemed to sort of resonate with lots of academic couples I know. Um, some of the, the entitlement and cynicism among certain parts of, of the faculty seemed to, to resonate uh, for me. Uh, and, and the episode, the sort of the, I guess the thing that drives most of the plot the, of, of, uh, uh, a faculty member being being videotaped out of context doing something he shouldn't have done in, in the classroom that also seemed to resonate with me as being something that i've seen versions of that happen you know in real life uh both in the u.s and in, and in the uk so um i found myself thinking so this is and it's a plot device of course because it dry it's, it's at the end of the first episode isn't it mm-hmm. so so dobson who's this sort of um young but well aging mm. um but or middle-aged again former star i like he went from young to aging well, to well, well he's young relative to, to the other the other members of staff right. yes other members of the faculty okay. but he's actually not that young I mean, yes so, so sorry he's yeah he's aged um but but he's a former star and he's a star teacher and he's like obviously a charismatic figure we get a little bit of insight into his personal circumstances because his wife has recently died mm. his daughter has just left home to go study at columbia uh and he's bereft you know so, so we see him he's drunk in the first episode anyway at the, at the end of the first episode 
he, as a part of a lesson on um, fascism and absurdism, makes a Nazi salute in class. And of course, he's being videotaped by students, not videotaped, he's being taped by students on their phones. Mm. Um, videotape's an archaic way to, to put it. Being recorded by he's students. He's being recorded, yes. yes. Proving that I am not young. <laughs> um, so he's recorded doing this, and then this goes viral, of course. And So this, this is the plot device that mm. kind of drives much of the subsequent five episodes. Uh, the, the fallout from this incident. It's hard to believe he would have been that naive. Well, uh, that that was my sense. But what do you think? I, I thought, okay, well, this guy's a jerk, but he's not a he's not stupid. Um, and he saw them taping. Yeah, not recording. Although, having seen enough similar incidents like this in, in a variety of forms, um, you know, I can understand pedagogically why he made that choice to do that, and why sort of. Um, but it was a bad choice. Like it was a ill-informed choice, but it's one that, that, that academics often make because, you know, they think of, you know, uh, a kind of how to be dramatic in the classroom and he's clearly sort of relies on that kind of, 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 of lecture as performance art kind of thing, um, as is, as is, uh, modality in the classroom. Um, but, uh. Yeah, that, that didn't surprise me that that that, that he fell in, into the, the that particular um, trap mistake, call it whatever you want. But do you think it would have blown up that way that he would have been? You know, he ends up being called a Nazi. He's accused of being, being a Nazi, Nazi. By, yeah. by student activists. Um, and it was clearly not what he intended. It, I no, mean, yeah, you, know, you know, these and these students, you know, at, at a lesser Ivy would have recognized mm, that. that. One would hope. One would hope, yes. Um, um, although, you know, I think we're at a, at a moment. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure what student activism is like in the United States at this particular moment. But, you know, I think we are potentially at a time in which, you know, the, the amount of tolerance people have for infractions, whether they're, um, you know, whether he's actually a Nazi or whether it's just simply a, a bad pedagogical choice, are um, quite, you know... Uh, they're dealt with in a very different way than they would have been 20 years ago. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I was a little surprised that, again, we have to allow for dramatic mm. license. Oh, they, to have, be they, sure. have, they have to keep this, you know, the, this is the, that, that, that storyline is the kind of arc for the whole thing. So, you know, but his refusal to apologize or his ham fisted, I'm sorry if you were offended yes. apology. Again, he would have been smart enough not to do that. What didn't you like about it? What did you think was inaccurate? Um, well, they all get the offices, and I think this is true for like nine tenths of, of of the ways in which faculty show up in 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 media. We always have much nicer offices in television and movies than we ever do in real life. They're awesome because they're always wooden they're, with you know huge shelves and massive ceilings. ceilings. Yeah, the great. only office that seemed realistic was the person who gets relegated to the basement of the gym and has sort of the peeling you know plaster on the wall. That seemed like the realistic office. Well, that actually seemed like a big office compared to what lots of offices are that faculty are teaching in. Uh, but yeah, the the the. Uh, the oak paneled office seems like it's an extraordinarily rare uh, phenomenon. My understanding is that the actual office they filmed her in was 
I think like the provost office at a university that almost never got used. And so they sort of were trying to find like something that looked like they, they had an image of what they wanted a faculty office to look like that looks nothing like any faculty office I've ever seen. Um, so that um, struck me. Uh, but I think that this film is in good company there because almost every faculty office is always huge and uh, well-appointed with, with great furniture. And it is the kind of de facto kind of Hollywood, and I'm using Hollywood to mean yes. the film and television industry kind of representation of a faculty office. So, so it would be shocking if you didn't have that to some extent. Yeah. Um, although, I mean, clearly they, 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 they talk to academics in making this to get some of the, the discourse and the language right. And, and I'm sure somebody pointed out to them that nobody's office looks like this. Um, at least nobody I've ever met. Um, Actually, before you go on, David, hmm. University of Glasgow History Department has very nice offices that look a little bit like that because they, University yeah. Gardens there. Okay. Yeah, but, but that is the exception. I think they have a couple people who have very nice offices yeah. there. Anyway, um, I think they're being moved. Um, but um, the students struck me as a. Uh, I mean, that student, there wasn't very much focus on the students. Uh, so that's but but the students they did have seemed sort of caricatures, um, so I wasn't quite sure I bought into that. Um, and the thing that really bothered me though was there was no adjuncts. That the majority of teaching that happens at American universities, whether it's at you know lower Ivies like the Pembroke is supposed to be, or at a state university or anywhere else, is done by people who are on. Um, are, tenu are tenuously employed. Yeah, fixed or short-term contracts. And and there were none of those there. I mean, the, the issues were all among tenured faculty, and the, the, the premise the show seemed to offer was that this was the entire English department. Uh, yeah, well, sorry, if I can jump in there. Yeah. And the English department was incredibly small. One reason I didn't find this credible as, as, an, as an Ivy League university is Ivy League universities have big departments, as a rule, even in the humanities, even if many of them are adjuncts. But, you know... Mm. This it looked more it looked and felt in terms of the faculty mm. size more like a small liberal arts college actually yes to my mind so I, I didn't it did but there was one person who had a TA and so there's clearly a yeah. graduate program and so like the there, there's some of the, the mechanics of it that didn't work um, there now you know the, and I, I think a show that accurately sort of represented the sort of the stresses that that a department chair would have would be not you know how do we fire these three tenured faculty members who don't have many students, but like, how do I manage class enrollments? How do I deal with the fact that, that you know, the, the sort of manpower of, of, of having a large number of, of classes taught by adjuncts who are making very little money? I mean, I think if this department really was hemorrhaging money, they would have not hired the, uh, probably the young African-American woman. They probably would have hired a bunch of adjuncts years ago uh, on temporary contracts. Um, I think, uh, so that part bugged me, but, um, you know, it's Hollywood. I didn't expect it to be realistic, although I kind of wish I kind of had one of those offices. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have a perfectly nice office. I'm very happy with my office. I've got, you know, yeah, it's a nicer office than lots of people, but, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, oak paneled stuff has always been kind of a, you know, fantasy dream that I will never ever. Well, that's because you've been, you've had it implanted and you buy Hollywood. Hollywood exactly. So, so, so David, I've never been in, you know, I <laughs> didn't have anyone in you know college that, you know, 
when I was a student that had an office like that. So but before we went on the air, you you mentioned that this this program induced anxiety in you. Well, I mean, yeah. lots of people started to watch this show a couple weeks ago. And people were talking about it, and I just really didn't want to watch it because it seemed a bit too close to to sort of my actual life. Um, I guess in my entertainment choices, I like to pick things that are, are escapists, not things that are, you know, too close to home. Uh, and so I was reluctant to watch it until, until I decided to watch it yesterday in preparation for this episode. Uh, and luckily, it's only uh, three hours long, so I was able to sort of binge that in a reasonable amount of time. But, uh, yeah, there, there were parts of it, especially in the first couple episodes, that did feel a bit... Uh, too anxiety provoking, especially when the start of term is about to happen. So, so, so at this risk of turning this into a, a therapy session, which ones? I mean, because that wasn't my that wasn't my response. I'll talk about my response in a second. But I, you know. um, you know that, that I think there's a, a maybe just beginning of, of this academic year, in part because things are going to be so uncertain. Uh, because of the, the pandemic and going back into the classroom and social distancing and teaching masks and other kinds of things. Um, I'm feeling more anxious at the beginning of this academic year than, than, than most academic years. Um, and uh, I'm not sure I wanted to have that sort of anxiety piled upon by, by things that, that uh, seem close to that, uh, even if fictionalized. Um, I'd much rather watch a, a you know, superhero movie at this point something that without that that has no no bearing on, on my reality at all but i can be absorbed in for two hours before i go back to my email um what about you it didn't induce anxiety in me it induced some annoyance uh, only insofar as um i didn't find many of the characters and in some sense any of the characters all that likable or engaging sandra oh was okay i mean she's a very good actress mm. so i thought her acting job was okay oh, yeah, the, the show was um, well acted the and, and so yeah dobson for example the guy who played him did a great job but he was just a totally unsympathetic I, idiot I, I guess you know throughout especially the first two of the whole show I, I could see people making bad choices and drama is about people making bad choices if people make good choices you don't have any drama um like but the only pain... one I liked was Sandra O's father. I liked him. He was very sweet. sweet yes. Um, <laughs> that, 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 he's probably the most likable character who, who doesn't speak English. Um, or at least very little English. Um, the uh, Yeah, just watch, watching people make bad choices that are very similar to kind of bad choices I see people around me making on a regular basis causes me anxiety. And I've got enough anxiety in my life. But that's probably more than our listeners want to know. Yeah, um, <laughs> well, and maybe, I mean, I we were talking about this before we started. So you're a little anxious about the start of the academic year. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Uh, I, I'm really happy we're going to be face-to-face again. And, and oh, I'm excited about seeing students. I'm excited. Yeah, oh, yes. Uh, but 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 I think this, just because of, I think, the, the accumulated anxiety of the past three years from a variety of things uh, has... I'm not, I'm not as giddy about the start of school as I usually am. Fair enough. Um, so so in terms of, I agree with your critique about the students, but again, I think that's a function of the fact that the program was faculty-centered. Mm. We've already commented on how unusual that is yeah, as yeah. opposed to student-centered. There are loads of representations of university and college students in, in, in pop culture, and we'll get to those in a minute. 
but I, I think you're right. I think the students were really a prop. They're a plot device in this. So they, you know, they, they're, they're snowflakes who overreact mm. to this Nazi salute and that's, and they protest in relatively small numbers. The dean sort of capitulates because there are 20 students outside the building. And I, I thought that was a that, that may be That may be an artifact, <laughs> the fact they filmed this during the pandemic. Right. Okay. Yeah, you're right. And the fact that like it was snow, there was snow on the ground the first episode, which doesn't make any sense in terms of the academic calendar. Like it seems as if unless this is an IV that's located in the North Pole, that they, they're, it's always winter or they're in Narnia or something. Right. Um <laughs> Uh, but 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 I I so I didn't find anybody terribly sympathetic. I did like the David Duchovny subplot. Yes, and I thought he did a good job. I thought he was quite funny. Uh, I thought he yeah as a version of a version of himself, um, which is much more realistic uh, than you know it, it, the the show Californication he did, where he also played a college professor for a couple of seasons, which was totally. Not realistic. Although in both cases, the you know, great office. No, and where um, they hit it perfectly was when. Um, Professor Kim goes to speak to him about this, this uh, giving this distinguished lecture, and they're going through it, and, and it's it's a satire both of academic life and of celebrities, mm. and, that. and so I think it was that was actually a real sweet spot those couple of scenes, and he says, well, tell me, did you ask somebody else first? And she says, it's James Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that that was a laugh out loud I'm moment exactly. actually for me anyway. So, so I, I thought I actually thought the David Duchovny um, cameo was quite good. Uh, so I. I guess I enjoyed it. I mean, do you think it'll be renewed? Do you think there'll be another series? I don't know. This seemed kind of self-contained to me. Um, I thought this actually could have been a, a two-hour movie rather than a three-hour miniseries. Um, I mean, I don't know. They, they often find sequels, ways to make sequels of things or, or subsequent series of things that probably don't need them. Um but it seems like it ends at an interesting place. And, and I mean, they left the door open to coming back, of course. Of course, but, but yeah. But are they going to get... I mean, clearly, Sandra Oh and Dobson would, would get together. I mean, that was the clear sure. implication. Um, she and, was chair for like two weeks, it seems like. The entire show seems to take place over a very limited time frame. Right, and she gets... I mean, what was interesting, and this is a contrast with British mm. higher education, um, you know, she was overthrown by her department... And, um, you know, there was a vote of no confidence and then she was out. Whereas, um, you know, it, it, that all happened rather quickly in academic. I, I didn't find that very plausible. Yeah, well, the, 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 the other plot line, thinking about that didn't seem very plausible, was the asking the chair to nudge three professors into retiring. That doesn't seem like that's actually something that chair would be. I mean, I'm hoping not, but. No, that's, the, a, that's a dean or a provost, provost or president of the university's job. Really. Yes. Um, so, and that would have been half the department. The department's so small well, exactly. program as, as it's presented. And as you said, there's, there are no adjuncts and there's one graduate student. Yes. Um, <laughs> seemingly. But, uh, anyway. so, so what about other portrayals? I mean, what do you think in, in kind of the history of film and television are the, the, the better portrayals of university life in America? What do we have? There, there are very few that, that, that sh I think show faculty life sympathetically um but one thing that struck me sort of looking back at the history of this there, there are several sort of distinct periods of of cinematic and, and television depictions of universities and they really sort of start in the 1970s yep uh like with love story and, and the paper chase and the animal house which are obviously three very different movies but they all 
you know, thinking about when those movies are made and when those movies, uh, you know, the, 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 they are sort of depict the, the time they, the, the, during the 1970s um, or 60s as well. Um, you know, that's at a moment in which there is this democratization of higher education. Lots more Americans are going to college in the 60s and 70s than had been going to earlier. So I think it's an interesting that there that's a moment in which... Uh, Cinema starts to use college as a venue for telling stories, uh, but those because are, it's an experience that, that more people, people can relate to, right? right? You know, so there there are a handful of films that take place at colleges prior to that, but not very many. It seems as if the college film as a genre starts really in the seventies, um, and those are all stories that focus primarily on students. Um, yeah, the paper chase has a very prominent law professor in it, but it's, it's ultimately it's he is sort of the antagonist in the story, not the protagonist in the story. Um, and then I think you had a moment in, and I think this is sort of generational in in the early in the sort of the nineties and to the early part of two thousands, where you do see sympathetic depictions of faculty. Um, I'm thinking here about Goodwill Hunting, uh, Mona Lisa's Smile, and the Great Debaters. Uh, Goodwill Hunting came out in '97, Mona Lisa's Smile came out in 2003, and Great Debaters came out in 2007. All of which sort of depict, in various degrees, you know, faculty who are um, both leading characters and 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 dealt with in a in a complex way, uh, but also ones who are inspiring to. Uh, students and, and have that sort of uh, mentor role involved. I might add Wonder Boys to that oh, list yes, yeah. as well, although he's a, Michael Douglas's character and that is, is problematic in all kinds of ways and reminded me of Dobson in, in, yes. in, in the chair. But um, but it's, Wonder Boys seeks to present a faculty member as a complex person. Person, yes. Um, and I think that's also sort of generational. Because, I mean, I think, you know, if you look at who all the, the, the professors are, those are all baby, you know, they think about who baby boom as a generation and who gets depicted in these shows. That that, that seems to be the, the uh, narrative arc there. Um, Dobson, you know, reminded me of, um, in a weird way, of George from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Huh. Which is about a... a late middle age history professor who's um got so a problem gone, sorry dobson's now gone from young to aging to late middle age well i'm not i was thinking about george <laughs> right, being late sorry, middle yeah, age, yeah, but sorry. um you know in terms of of a, a depiction of a faculty member who's completely off the rails uh both in terms of his alcohol use and in terms of his poor life choices um what, what, what are the depictions of, of faculty that jump out to you? Well, I wouldn't say faculty so much as, as university life generally. And mm. the ones you've mentioned are all, I think, really good. I mean, I think Goodwill Hunting mm. is great uh, in many respects. Although the, there's an interesting contrast in Goodwill Hunting between Stellan, in terms of faculty, Stellan Skarsgård's character, who's at MIT mm. and is basically a bit of a bastard, although he does recognize Will Hunting's ability. And Robin Williams, who's at Bunker Hill Community College. So there's, a, there's an interesting kind of um, 
commentary there on the kind of hierarchy within higher education and subverting that. Mm. So it's, I think Goodwill Hunting is a, is, is a really good movie in this genre. Mm. Um, Animal House, of course, is is classic, um, but of course it's depicting an earlier period. It's made in 1978, but it's about the 50s. Isn't yeah, it? I think so. Yeah. Memory serves. Um, and the Paper Chase, Wonder Boy. So, so, but but other ones that I think are more reason. Or sorry, that that I think warrant um, in terms of films um, commenting on would be Social Network. Oh, sure. Which is you know came out in two thousand and ten, and it's you know to some extent, uh, Harvard gets the Sorkin treatment in the Social Network, and and I think that that's an interesting portrayal. And there are almost no faculty in that. I mean, that's a totally student centered um, depiction. If memory serves, it's been well, a while since and, I've seen. And, it. and like Goodwill Hunting, I think one of the premises of that show is actually the university is kind of useless. Right, it's it's ancillary to the the genius of, the, or if that's the right word for what's going on in social network, of the genius of, of the protagonist. Right? That's right. That's they, right. They, yeah, they are at university or in Goodwill Hunting. He's not at university, and and and, and there there's a sort of a, a rejection of, of higher education embedded in both of those movies. That's, that's not something really that that actually is a vehicle for for much of anything. It's a barrier. Um, yeah, that's a really good point, I think. And then I would mention <laughs> in the genre of films inspired by Animal House. And of which there are a huge Of which number. there are a huge number and of which uh, there was a kind of whole kind of universe of comedies, really bad sophomoric these mm. <laughs> comedies in the 80s. Uh, probably the, the classic, the archetypal example would be Revenge of the Nerds. Mm. As a university film, as a kind of bad version of, of uh, but then you get onto Porky's and things like mm. that. But I, I think Revenge of the Nerds is actually quite an interesting because it's a satire on, on the on the Greek life celebrated Manimal House. Mm. But it's, I, I, but there's a whole genre of, of university movies that 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 posit that what university is for is for partying and drinking. Yes, right? like and, and the, the the classes and and the actual sort of academics of it. Are totally ancillary or even absent from the films, and there are films that come out like this almost every year. Sure, and that, so in fact, I've got some of these on my list. So you get Pitch Perfect is another interesting mm. depiction, uh, but it's about extracurricular activities. It's not really about going to class. Um, Monster University, University's getting the Pixar treatment. That's a good movie. Okay. Well, yeah. that was not on my list of no, films no, no. to think about. That's that's a really good movie, and and um, it it's well, it, it, I think I I, I that, that's one of my wild cards on this list as a as a kind of depiction of university life. So I I think what's interesting is the kind of the kind of they seem to fall into two categories. Mm. There are dramas. You know whether it's a coming of age drama or um, or, or personal crisis drama mm. like Wonder Boys, or or there are uh, comedies. They very rarely get played for much else. And one of the things we talked about with the the chair mm. is it was unsure what it was to some extent. So it was a dramedy, right? But it was it wasn't clear whether it was a drama or a comedy. And yeah, some... and well, I didn't find it all that funny. I mean, there were bits and pieces that were funny, but there were parts of it that I was I wasn't quite sure how I was supposed to respond to it. When Juju runs away from Dobson mm. when he's babysitting her, this is Spoiler. Senator's daughter. Yeah, that was super, spoiler alert. And, and 
I was worried she was going to get hit by a car. Or be abducted or, or something. And that was a plausible fear in because of the kind of uh, atmosphere in this program. Um, now, spoiler alert, she doesn't get hit by a car, thankfully, uh, this child. But but it, you, and, and the fact that I was worried about that tells you something about the, the tone here. Mm. But they usually fall, they're either comedies or dramas. There's very little else in terms of the way universities are portrayed. Well, I think even... even z- Zooming in a bit more, I think there, there, you know, there's, there's very particular kinds of comedies. There's the, uh, you know, the, the, the frat party, a variety of kind, kinds of shows. There are um, the gifted scientist who's working at a university but doesn't necessarily teach classes kind of shows, of which there are a huge number. Um, some of which are, you know. Adventure films, some of which um, are comedies. You can think of like beginning of Ghostbusters, where they're working at not Columbia um, before they all get fired. Um, I was actually an extra in in one of the, the, these kinds of films in uh, nineteen ninety six. A film called Chain Reaction. Which did you see this? I did not. No, no neither did anybody else. It had uh, Keanu Reeves and Morgan Freeman in it. Right. Okay. My wife and I were uh, were extras in that. You can see us very briefly if you pause it um, <laughs> for half a frame. Um, where Keanu Reeves played a graduate student in the physics department. It was about as bad as you can imagine. Um, uh, so there's that sort of genius scientist one. There's a whole, obviously, genres of sports films. That yeah, we haven't even touched on those. Which, are, which, which, you know, the university is in many ways like university sports in the United States. The, the academic life is ancillary to the experience of, of the uh, story being told there. Um, One other faculty genre, though, mm. I, I guess we is is the uh, faculty member as hero, and this just occurs to me. So you get this in The Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons, Demons. Indiana Jones, you know, where... It, Who is a bad teacher. Yes, well... And he's no, a bad archaeologist, but if we have on that. Um, um, so you, you occasionally get... Professors as heroes, but that's a pretty rare. Uh, there aren't a whole lot of movies where that's the case. That's true, and and, and yes, there are very few. You know, they, they they are often. Well, you do have things like you know the great debaters where where Denzel Washington's character is helping to. There's the inspirational, the inspirational teacher, teacher, teacher yeah. who helps the students and overcome whatever it is that they're overcoming. I mean, Dead Poet Society said at a boarding school, and I know that's a totally different subgenre mm. of films, but to some extent, that's the archetypal faculty member as, he, as inspiration. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more films and television shows in particular that are set at high schools than at universities. It's a more common experience. In part because it's a more common experience, in part because I think it sort of lends itself to greater drama because of the sort of institutional nature of high schools. Um, I can think of lots of television programs in particular where the students, the actors, age out of being able to be, you know, believable as high school students, and they go to college, and the shows are usually bad. Right. Well, in fact, I was thinking about that. We should talk about TV programs in mm. a second. I was thinking there are TV programs like the last couple of series of Modern Family mm. where the kids are just so old they go they go to college, and you get some college, depictions of college, mm. but they're really ancillary to the plot because they have to do something with these young people mm. who are too, too old to be in high school anymore. But in terms of television depictions of, of college, two that struck me that are recent that I... Um, 
are, are very different, but are interesting, at least to me. One is Community, which a lot of people will be familiar mm. with, and again, it's widely available on Netflix, and I think really got a new lease on life because of COVID. I think mm. people watched it while they during the various lockdowns. Uh, and Community, I think, is really interesting because it does portray both faculty and students, and it portrays them sympathetically. They're mm. not always admirable, but sympathetically. Um for comedy, but it's it's done. Community is a really interesting program, and given how big the community college sector is right. in the United States, it speaks to a much broader ex- educational experience than the chair does. To be sure, I mean, um, there's a huge number of shows that are set at Harvard, you know, right. and 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 Harvard-ish kinds of places, or at MIT. You know, it seems like there's a bifurcation oftentimes between shows that are set at elite institutions, which the elite institution is part of the story or they're set at party schools and there's like nothing, you know, nothing in between. And, and, uh, you know, state universities are inherently sort of like not academic places in many of these movies. The, sorry, the other TV program I wanted to mention that's recent. Have you seen how to get away with murder? I have not. Cause how to get away with murder is set in a fictional law school. Uh, and Viola Davis's character, I won't spoil this. And I, I, Kind of gave up on it after a, mm. the first series and a half or something like that. But but, how to get away with murder is set at a university, and she's a faculty member with with uh, a kind of cadre of law students who she adopted, not literally, but but um, took under her wing. There's a murder plot that has to be dealt with involving her family. But anyway, and this thing, it's absurd, but it, it, it's it its portrayal of academic life in law school mm. in particular is is um absurd frankly but but we, you know it's a very popular program and and um i wonder what the degree to which it's influenced what people think law school is like so viola davis plays this very inspirational and charismatic um and demanding um law professor who's teaching i don't know criminal procedure or something but they end up they end up creating uh, she and this group of students a sort of criminal cadre it's a it's an interesting um take on, on academic life but uh what, what do you have for television programs um with? two very different ones um one that i think is set at a university but it's very strange because there's almost no students and and no teaching uh big bang theory which is set right. at caltech sure. um which is a problematic show in a variety of ways but it can simultaneously also be pretty funny um none of the people involved seem to teach even though they all work at a university they all seem to be full-time researchers but they also seem to have plenty of time for going to comic book stores which is good i guess uh but a show that actually depicts an interesting university experience a different world yes that was on my list uh which was for those of you who haven't seen it was a spin-off of the cosby show and depicted uh, one of the characters from the Cosby Show going off to an HBCU, uh, and then that lasted for several seasons. Um, you know, but thinking about your comments about community, you know, as, as the community colleges as being a, a, a both a, a big segment of the the university experience uh, in the United States. Uh, you know, HBCUs are a very distinct cultural uh, and important kind of, of institution of higher education that doesn't show up so much in, in films. I mean, it doesn't in Great Debaters, obviously, which is a, about an, an African-American uh, Wiley College in the 1930s, um, but Different World is set in a then-contemporary, uh, I guess, late 80s, early 90s HBCU. 
which I thought, you know, much like the Cosby Show, uh, was a, you know aimed at a wide audience, um, a, and therefore a predominantly white audience, uh, you know, showing a, a college experience very different from their own. Um, and I've seen a different world since it was on broadcast, so I'm not sure whether it holds up uh, 30 years later. But that that's one I think is an interesting depiction. Okay, David, summing up, your, what do you think the best film depiction of American higher education is and the best TV depiction? Oh, that's a really difficult question. Um, it's much easier to pick out the worst depictions that, than, than the best depictions. Um, I thought Mona Lisa's smile was good with Julia Roberts. Um In terms of television, I'm not sure. What do you think? I would say for TV, it's I think Community is is really really good mm. um, in that regard. I don't know. I, I and I think the best film set in a university environment. Mm. I don't know whether it's a film about universities to the same extent would be Goodwill Hunting. Yes, As, you know, I think it just it ages well. It, it it it's the best Boston movie probably ever made. I, a good argument can be made there, right. yes. So, 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 and it, and, it, it, and it name checks, you know, Gordon Wood. So, right. you know. but no, 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 but it's not. And it's, it's, um, yeah. I mean, for good or ill, it gave us the careers of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Uh, anyway, so I think Goodwill Hunting is the best film hmm. set in a university environment. Um, it's not really about universities to the, in the way that Cher was. So, in terms of, of a film about university, yeah. you know, Animal House really is a, is a landmark. You know, in the culture. In so many of these films, whether they're comedies, though, or dramas, the university is the enemy. You know, in Animal House, the university is the adversary. In Goodwill Hunting, the university is this bureaucratic evil thing that, you know, that that Will Hunting is, you know, working as a janitor for. And, you know, um, you know, in Paper Chase, the law professor is abusive. Um you know, in, in most of these stories, the, the university is not a, uh, is not depicted admirably. You know, whether some individuals in it are. You know, thinking about the chair, the dean doesn't come across well. You know, the university as a whole doesn't come across well. It doesn't seem like a place you'd want to be. It seems like a very host, you know, hostile environment to, to live in, to work in, to, to be a student in. Um, there's very few of these depictions where the university as a place comes across as a uh, welcoming, nourishing environment, which I think is what we want the university to be. Now, that may be an artifact of welcoming, nurturing environments don't make for good drama, but uh, they all seem pretty toxic. Yeah, but I think that's just because they're anonymous institutions in, you know, in terms of the the, the role they play in the plots of these mm. uh, of these films and TV programs. So I think... In uh, none of these films is the dean a good guy. There's never a good depiction of a dean anywhere in any of these shows. No, we don't get a hard-working dean who's trying to deal with COVID and, <laughs> and say, you know, we, you know, and, and, and guarantee, you know, um, you know, try to promote the student experience no. and, and, and benign uh, uh, conditions for faculty members. Exactly, <laughs> that's not, not... yeah. The dean is always sort of wanting to fire people or or yeah that's true that's um, true that's a, that's a that's a good observation and i think there's a, it doesn't make for good drama well and i think there's also sort of a it, it reflects i think a uh, a, a host 
maybe not a hostility, but a, um, a adversarial relationship that, that, that Hollywood has with, with academia um, and, and by extension American culture has with academia. We, the Americans both love and, and uh, are critical of, of universities as institutions. Uh, in, in interesting and weird sort of ways. Well, and and um, uh, fellow podcaster, friend of the pod, Daniel Galata, wrote a really interesting reference of this. And Daniel, of mm. course, hosts the Age of Jackson podcast, which we've recommended mm. in the past. Uh, but in his in his review of the chair, one of the points that Daniel made was that if people are critical of universities, and many people are, mm. you could see whatever you're critical of in this program. So if you think faculty are a bunch of lazy old deadwood who don't do anything, then that's the way the older faculty are portrayed in the chair. If you think students are a bunch of snowflakes waiting to be triggered, well, that's pretty much how the students mm. are portrayed in the chair. If you think that the university administration is feckless and only interested in preserving its endowment and its own and its its reputation that's how they're portrayed and daniel kind of makes this point mm. that what you can project whatever your concerns about university life um onto the chair or see that see those represented in the chair that's a better way to to, to, to phrase it and what's interesting is maybe that helps account for its popularity because mm. let's face it the vast majority of americans don't go on to tertiary education and a very very small fragment notwithstanding what one, what we happen to see on our Twitter feeds, are actually academics who hold PhDs, right? Mm. It's a very statistically insignificant proportion of the population, probably. And, and even a smaller percentage go to work at places like this. Right, exactly. However, everybody's got an opinion on what they think college and university is like. And, and this, this it pre presents a window into that. And so I think, I think Daniel's observation on this was very astute in, in mm. that regard. But you're right. And... and I'm not so sure that Hollywood is, is, is antagonistic towards universities. First of all, I think a lot of people in Hollywood um, you know, went to Ivy League universities. That's personally, I think, why Ivy League universities yeah. show up much much. Right. Than, so yeah. your point about Harvard earlier, you know, it's always Harvard. You know, it's, Illegally it's, blonde or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's that. Um, so I think they're probably ambivalent in the same way they're ambivalent about, you know, the institutions, sorry, the industries, I should put it, that get very interesting portrayals by Hollywood, it seems to me are um, the government, which is, again, an mm. you know, is the way government in Washington in general, I'm using Washington as a shorthand, is portrayed, uh, is, is interesting, either very, very hostile or laudatory. Universities, and to a lesser extent, I suppose, the legal business, which, of course, is there are far more legal program, programs about the law, either legal dramas or police dramas than almost anything else. Yes. Medical, I suppose, as well. But, yeah. That... Uh, but... There's a kind of I, I don't think they're hostile to universities so much as they're fascinated by universities but don't necessarily understand universities because the university experience isn't that widespread. Yes, and I think it also, you know, unlike medical dramas where somebody's going to die or, or or crime dramas where somebody has been killed, you know, most of our teaching from the outside is is not all that exciting. Yes, and academic drama is. is important to us but but of little importance to anybody else. well as the cliche goes you know the fights are so fierce because the stakes are so small <laughs> yes um, but anyway so i, I think there's a I, hence I, my anxieties i, I don't <laughs> think they're antagonistic so much as they don't necessarily understand mm. higher education terribly well this one they seem with the chair they seem to have taken the time to at least 
consult with people to get some of the details right and some of the language right, even if they tweak it for dramatic purposes. Yeah, and I thought they got the gender and racial politics of the, current, right. of the current moment. You know, they really Close sought enough. to address that. And, I, I, and to some extent, that was the point of the thing. So, mm. um, you know, if it came back, would I watch it? Maybe. Before lockdown again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there, Frank. Let's go to the last draft. So what, what, what do you got for, for something to leave us? I, I've got two. I want to um, uh, observe the, the passing of Robert Middlecoff, mm. who was a uh, historian at the at, uh, University of California at Berkeley for many years. And he was also for a, a brief period uh, the director of the Huntington Library in San Marino, California. Um, and, and I only met Bob Middlecoff once when he was the Harmsworth professor back in 1996 at, at Oxford, uh, soon after I'd arrived in the UK and we examined a dissertation together and, and a PhD dissertation, uh, actually a DPhil dissertation, excuse me, it's Oxford. Um, and, uh, Speaking of a place that is all weird. <laughs> indeed. Um, yes, we could have done a whole episode on a, a, a Inspector Morris, anyway, <laughs> and the way universities presented. Um, but, but Bob Middlecoff was a historian of the American Revolution. He wrote the inaugural volume in the Oxford history of the United States called The Glorious Cause, um, which is still well regarded by many people. It's, a, it's, a, it, it's, it's been reissued in, uh, in a newer edition more recently. He wrote a really interesting book called Benjamin Franklin and His Enemies, hmm. which is, uh, well, it's exactly what it's about, the, the kind of people who hated Benjamin Franklin and, and why they fell out. It's a really good book. Um, and just... My experience with him was that he was just a really, really nice man. And he was very both kind to me and kind to the um, DPhil candidate who we were examining when, when I encountered him. And so I'm, I'm sorry to hear that Bob Middlecoff died. He was 91, so he had a good run. But, mm. um, uh, so I want to mark the uh, or observe the uh, passing of, of Robert Middlecoff. Uh, my second um, drop, if you will, is I want to endorse Sturgill Simpson's latest album, called The Ballad of Dude and Juanita. And Ballad of Dude and Juanita. Yes, okay. and Dude and Juanita were the names of Sturgill Simpson's grandparents. And so he took their names, but he created characters, different characters based on those names. It is a sort of, it's a themed, mainly bluegrass, it's a country record um, or album, um, about set in Kentucky in the 19th century. And it's a sort of... Um, revenge tale it's really really good and it huh. it, it evokes the so it's historic you should listen okay, to it. this okay. is your period yeah, yeah. i would strongly recommend this um if you have a streaming service for music let's give sturgill simpson's the ballad of dude and juanita a listen it's got his it's got a mule and a dog and and um juanita gets kidnapped i won't spoil it for people but it's it, it, it it's it's very very good sturgill simpson says it's the last uh uh solo record he's going to uh, release uh, hmm. in a five record arc of, of his career um i don't know whether that's true or not but um kentucky but I, was I, the leading mule breeding state in the 19th century well there you go and it's got a dog in it and, and it, anyway it's very very good no, okay, good. i just dropped my pen what's your last drop david uh well uh ancestry.com the the genealogy website has recently released for free uh 3.5 million freedmen's bureau records uh, for people to to look at and, and and the sort of stated purpose of this is, is to make it easier for for African Americans to trace their genealogy. That's what ancestry is all about. But it's also a really uh, important resource for historians to use. The Freedmen's Bureau 
uh, I think as, as many listeners know, was a government agency created in the final months of the Civil War to, uh, among other things, help African Americans in the transition from slavery to freedom. Um, it's a hist- uh, an agency with a problematic history, uh, but has some really interesting records that heretofore have been somewhat difficult to access. And uh, now, now they're all online, so you can, can read Freedmen's Bureau records and, and examine uh, what the early months and years for, for free people were, were like in the United States, at least through the lens of, of the Freedmen's Bureau. Did you say that they, they've made them available for free? They are free. Right. Do you have to have an Ancestry.com account or anything no, like I that? No, I think, I think you can sign up and just you know look at all the documents there. Uh, without an Ancestry.com account. So. so apart from people doing genealogical research, it's yeah, like the, a boon to historians, historians, but also to undergraduate dissertation writers. Yes, if, if any of my dissertation students are listening and, and they still need a topic for this coming year, uh, this this might be a way to, to go, and, go and find some good stuff. Yes, and David's got anxiety, so make his life easier. Use these. Don't don't bother him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Cheers, David. Cheers. The Whiskey Rebellion is hosted by David Silkenet and Frank Cogliano. David is a senior lecturer in American history at the University of Edinburgh, and Frank is professor of American history and dean international for North America at the University of Edinburgh. The Whiskey Rebellion is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. You can follow the show on Twitter at WhiskeyRebelPod and like the show on Facebook for updates about current and future episodes.